Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spoken World Podcast. It's your host, Pua, bringing you different literary artists from across the globe. Every episode, we get to talk to poets, writers, authors, award-winning screenwriters. And through these discussions, interactions about their inspiration and their journey, all the experiences that they brought together to create these masterpieces. I've learned that we're really not as different as we like to think that we are. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Nick Corman, also known as NDC Poetry. He's a spoken word artist from Greensboro, NC. He enjoys using his art to address a myriad of social issues in addition to mental health awareness. He has his work published in Broad Magazine, a digital and social justice publication for the Women's Studies and Gender Studies program at Loyola University, Chicago. He is currently a master's student at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. So this episode with Nick was very, I don't know, educative, very interactive. I loved it, especially um, considering the fact that we're talking about the issues that we are facing now, shedding light to the rape cases um, in our communities. I don't like to say that um, rape cases have been on a rise. I'm one to believe that it's always been there. Right now, people are just being more aware and when i talk about how we can do better in society as regards how we teach our boys how we teach our men i'm not saying that there aren't any good men out there i'm saying that there are too many good men that choose to do nothing i'm not saying take a gun and start to shoot people or when you see a guy another guy in a fight go and trick your head inside i'm saying that you can go a like a long way with educating your friends When someone makes a rape joke, tell them it's not funny. When someone feels like he's entitled to a woman's body, point out that that's not the case. Women are not property. Unfortunately, we live in a society where um, most men only listen to other men. I mean, I'm walking down the streets right now and I'm scared that I'm going to be harassed. But if I'm with my brother, he knows that just with like a shake of his head, I will be fine. Like, that goes a long way, and men know this. Anyway, without delving too deep, I will be first playing his piece, Under the Rug. I loved it. I'm sure you would too. And um, recently, I wrote a piece. Like, it's been a while since I've actually um, shared my piece with the world before. So, um, listen to the end, and there is a surprise. Well, not really a surprise. I'll just be playing my piece at the end of this episode. So, yeah, hope you enjoy it. With everything I've seen on the telly regarding surviving R. Kelly, it's clear he represents a greater problem to our community that's uglier than Betty, plus there's complicity on all sides that keeps it on the underbelly. But his case is another example of the system trying to discredit a brother that's well-respected, but it proves to the world that our young black girls have always been unprotected and to highlight a perverse culture that's constantly been neglected. Because for every Robert Kelly, there's a family member doing the exact same. If it ain't their older cousin Mike, then it's their cool Uncle James. Then they'll try to sugarcoat the abuse and claim they're playing a little game. And it's a damn shame members of the family are well aware. 
don't seem to care. But when all that dirt comes out in the wash, no one wants to shoulder any blame. We want to call out Catholic priests since they're always in the news. Meanwhile, Deacon Williams is at the church finding new ways to abuse. Even with all the evidence and clues, members still find reasons to excuse his actions. Then have the audacity to claim that his insatiable lust for young sisters is simply old fashioned. I just think it's suspicious for our community to constantly boast about being so religious. We're the first to close ranks and classify pedophilia and abuse as grown folks business. Which simply translates to, sorry your older cousin Junior's touch you a little baby, but go and finish up those dishes. Because they'll see the writing on the wall and still be blind and superstitious like Stevie. They'll call the police on their own blood fictitious while they sit and pronounce guilt of R. Kelly while they watch the TV. We've grown too accustomed to sweeping our dirt under the rug because no one wants to put Uncle Bobby on the spot and call him out for those extra long hugs. It's shaking our families to their core, but we continue to ignore it. R. Kelly was able to lock his demons in a closet, but our family members compartmentalize their trauma because there's nowhere else they can store it. There's no damn reason your 58-year-old slick Uncle Rick should be saying, oh, you're Shirley's daughter. Well, you done got kind of thick. And even if you tell your family he slid his hand underneath your blouse, they'll tell you to shut your mouth and sternly remind you it ain't nobody else's business of what goes on. In this house, instead of telling little black girls not to be so fast, tell these grown family friends and relatives not to be so quick to chase them. We need to address the predatory behaviors in our families because there is no excuse. We've got to let our children know it's not their fault and they're not complicit in their own abuse. So it's your prerogative if you want to listen to R. Kelly, because I won't tell you what to do. But if you're going to mute R. Kelly, make sure you unmute our young black girls, too. Hello, Nick, and welcome to The Spoken World. It is, like, <laughs> great to have you on. I know we had our ups and downs before we could finally have the interview, but yay, we did it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right, so uh, just tell us about yourself. Uh, well, uh, currently, I'm a uh, graduate student at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. Um, and for those that don't know where uh, Pembroke, North Carolina is, um, it's about 45 minutes from Fayetteville, North Carolina, where uh, J. Cole is from. Um, and I'm currently uh, studying to get my master's, my master's of arts in uh, social studies education. Um, and, you know, I just love, uh, love to do some poetry and some spoken word. I love it a lot. Yeah. So wait, oh, I'm intrigued. What made you decide to study social studies? Um, well, uh, it's, it's, it's mainly because of my, my love of, uh, my love of history. And, um, I'm actually looking at, uh, different programs to transfer to at the moment. Um, just, just because, um, I would really like to, to do more with, uh, history, namely, uh, African-American history, because I mean, you know, like history is like the greatest thing that, you know, that's, it's the greatest subject that there is, you know, uh, I mean, there's just like so much, you know, uh, that we can gain from the study of history. Uh, and, and it's not just about learning from our past mistakes, but it's about, you know, just knowing how we can navigate um, in the future uh, based mm -hmm. off of um, really, you know, what's, what's going on over time. So, so, you know, I just, I just have a, I've always had a deep love for, for the subject of history. Yeah. That sounds nice. And, um, well, since we're on the subject of history, um, why don't you tell us when you started writing and why? So it's crazy because I used to absolutely hate poetry. Um, Ooh. I know it's crazy. I, I know when I tell people, 
like they don't even believe it. But um, like all through elementary school and then like the first half of middle school, I hated it. But uh, my grandfather, he had passed away when I was in the sixth grade. And at his funeral, uh, my older brother, he had, um, you know, he he did poetry throughout high school and everything. And he had um, he had did a poem at at the funeral service. And, you know, up to that point, like it was it was very somber. Well, on my end, it was, you know, very somber um, and just like a melancholic um, event. But after hearing, you know, my brother, you know, do this poem, you know, it it turned a funeral into a celebration of life. Um, and, you know, everybody went home and everything. You know, I started trying to started trying to write poetry. And I mean, I mean, it was bad. It's, it's, it's very bad. You know, when I go back and read it now, it's, it it was bad. But um, but like that's really how I started getting into poetry because of my older brother. That sounds nice. And um, actually, we have the exact same story, uh, except I studied chemical engineering at the University of Benin here in Nigeria. And mm-hmm. I hated poetry for a long time (laughs) way past secondary school till i got to the university and same thing i was i i I went for this um this play because i had nothing to do in my in my my apartment i was staying at Mm -hmm. then and my friend came and told me hey i've got um tickets to go see this play and at first i didn't want to go but then i was like what am i doing and (laughs) later i was like there might be some cute boys there. So, okay. So I took the tickets and then I, I went to the play. There were, I, I didn't connect with anybody. Everyone, at first I was like, okay, I didn't meet anybody. But then uh, this guy got on stage and he, he, he performed this, this piece called um, Abike. And um, everybody else, as in everything else that was going on seemed like a sideshow to what he did. And that was when I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Then I went home and I still have like my old poem book that has like my name at the front. And they were like awful, awful pieces that I, I, I go back there once in a while when I want to cringe and mm-hmm. stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> talking about spoken word and pieces, let's, let's, um, let's come back to your piece um, Under the Rug. Honestly, yes. I loved it uh, for a lot of reasons. I uh, connected with it a lot. I had this, um, I just felt this passion in the way you spoke about things that are happening, you know, social issues, because I recently have had like a lot of arguments, like a lot of discussions about this. So I heard a lot of R. Kelly in that piece, but I feel like R. Kelly is just. I felt like R. Kelly, as in when I was listening to your poem, I felt like R. Kelly mm-hmm. was just one of the things that made you bring it up. But it's not like um, it's what made you realize that this kind of thing has been happening. So let's just start from the basis of the poem. What inspired it? Yeah. So so the main thing that really inspired it and, and, and pushed the poem was, you know, like the whole surviving R. Kelly series. And mm. and um, in the poem, you know, I speak about how it's how like this whole thing is, you know, bigger than R. Kelly, because in a lot of black families, um, there's a lot of, you know, R. Kelly's that are running rampant in, in a lot of, you know, families in the black community. And, you know, just watching, 
watching the series, watching part one and part two of the series, um, you know, it just showed me like how many different people, you know, like failed, you know, our black girls. I mean, from from, you know, like the people that were in R. Kelly's personal camp um, to, to, you know, like friends and in some cases, even the relatives, just like how, you know, that they allowed all of that to go by the wayside and not to mention um, the uh, judicial system. Um, like there were so many different, you know, parties at play that, you know, like failed these black girls who were being sexually abused and sexually assaulted that, you know, like we have to look at the bigger picture and see that, you know, like this isn't just about, you know, a famous, you know, singer named R. Kelly. You know, this is about, uh, you know, black girls and black boys who are being abused, you know, in their households um, and, and the family knows about it. And they're saying, you know, like, don't even worry about it. Don't tell nobody. You know, and they're just, you know, it's this constant, you know, sweeping under the rug, which is which is why I, I, I thought to to name uh, the poem that just because um, it's like people in the family, like they know, you know, what's what's going on. And in some cases, you know, some some older relatives would be like, well, you know, make sure the kids ain't with, you know, uh, uh, Junior or with uh, Uncle Micah, you know, something to that effect. It's just like, mm -hmm. why do we need to make sure that, you know, the kids aren't around, you know, this particular family member? You know what I'm saying? Like, what what do you know about, you know, their behavior that you're hiding or like not confronting? And and, you know, the poem was just trying to trying to be that, you know, confrontational piece just to bring it up. So, um, you know, we can actually start having these discussions and doing something about it, you know, in our families. Yeah, and um, this just reminded me of so much because uh, I remember arguing with people that why do we always have to be on the defensive? You know, why do we keep acting like this is an evil that cannot be avoided? Mm -hmm. I was talking about um, things that happen like girls getting drugged at clubs and people right. be all like, girls, you got to be careful, watch your drinks, you know, don't exactly. talk to strangers. I'm like, um, no, no, no tell boys to stop exactly. drinking drinks exactly that's what it comes down to because i don't get why we are always on the defensive i hear stories about okay so i saw this guy drug this girl drink and um, drug this girl's drink i walked up to her i tossed the drink aside by accident um i whispered in her he in her ear why are you whispering in her ear like you need to be talking to the, the guy out he drug drug exactly yeah. exactly he, why do you keep acting like you know it's inevitable and this is exactly the way family relatives or people close by who notice all of this um happening they feel like they can't do anything about it and it's still society that is making people believe that we always have to play um on the defensive anyway uh <laughs> so what would you tell these men and women that are letting these things happen um what i would tell them you know excuse my french but uh you know like cut that shit out you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's so much, there's so much trauma in in our communities, like without the influence of, you know, like sexual abuse and sexual assault, you know, in in families, just, you know, like based off of, you know, like the history of, you know, black peoples, um, you know, in this world, um, and in the case of African Americans in the United States and just, you know, everywhere really. 
Um, like, and then with that trauma being, you know, transgenerational, you know what I'm saying? We're still, we're still trying to deal with trauma that hasn't been properly addressed, you know, from, you know, slavery, from Jim Crow. And, and it's going to have to come down to like, we're going to have to actually engage in some healing. And in order to heal, uh, you know, we have to at least first, you know, acknowledge the problem. You know, we have to discuss mm-hmm. the the uh, uh, elephant in the room, so to speak. And, you know, like the problem is that, you know, like we we know what the problem is, but nobody wants to say anything about it. And then when people want to bring it up, um, especially in R. Kelly's case, it's a matter of, oh, well, you know, they just trying to tear down, you know, a successful black man, you know, uh, you know, we need to be protecting our, you know, black brothers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I get that argument. I completely get it. However, if somebody is guilty, like, and there's no, no doubt about the fact that they, you know, did that shit, like, no, we need to, you know, call, call them out on it, call a spade a spade. And, you know, we need to stop protecting, uh, stop protecting abusers, you know, even if they are, you know, of a of an upper echelon, you know, in our own communities, even if, you know, they were, um, you know, like, you know, pillars in the community who, you know, did, you know, so much for us, um, whether that be, you know, entertainment, music, uh, philanthropic work, you know, like a wrong is a wrong, no matter who does it. So it's going to have to come down to, you know, like us being real and having those tough conversations it's going to have to stop. Yeah. Now, um, going, um, moving forward with this movement, uh, and we know that boys get harassed too. Mm-hmm. Do you think men could be doing more with respect to this movement against rape and sexual harassment? Oh, I absolutely do uh, think that. And, and my issue with, with, with the male, the male role in this movement is that every time uh, there's a there's a big sexual assault case, or every time you know, like uh, somebody, uh, some you know famous you know black man, or you know some you know famous you know athlete or male, you know gets accused of sexual assault, a lot of you know men on Twitter or whatever social media platform will be like, well, you know, men get sexually assaulted, you know, too, you know, you know, men get. You know, and, and I'm like, bro, like, you're right, but the way that you're using that argument is bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's lit- to me, it is the equivalent of when black people get shot by the police and then white people come in and say, oh, well, you know, black people aren't the only ones who are getting shot by the police. But in the meantime, you're not advocating for them. You know, these mm-hmm. white people are not advocating for these, you know, white people that do get shot by the police. And these men who 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 are saying that you know men get sexually assaulted they're not advocating for you know victims of sexual assault that are male um and then if we look at the case of you know like terry cruz when you know he was going through everything that he was going through with him being uh, a victim of sexual assault you know uh it got it got very ugly you know like people like men were just you know like bashing him you know like calling that like ch- like trying to emasculate him because you know terry cruz is this you know like big you know, strong, you know, man, like this is, this is the last mm-hmm. person you would expect to get sexually assaulted. But when it happened 
and you know he was vulnerable and he opened up about it he got he got ridiculed so i think that that we men need to need to be doing a lot more in advocating for not only uh women who are who are the vic- who are victims of uh, sexual assault but in you know like checking in on you know ourselves and you know our homeboys who who may have you know gone through some kind of uh trauma or sexual assault through their childhood and and everything of that nature because it, I, like it happens and if women underreport if we if we know that women underreport being sexually assaulted i can we can bet that you know men with all of the societal factors that are associated with being a man um definitely underreported so it happens but you know we just have to learn to be better advocates uh for ourselves yeah yeah that's like i completely agree recently i think it was last year um if i i went through this phase usually i don't bother um <laughs> i don't really call out all the men in society i just like i'm like focusing on the ones that are doing bad in society that are hurting people and stuff but then it, it got to a point where i learned that my friends were raped mm-hmm. and the rapist had friends that knew about it right and they didn't say anything about it and when we brought it up like the some of the men didn't do anything they they didn't do much about it and that sort of like i went through this i was so angry i went through this phase where i just felt suspended and i just got pissed at Mm -hmm. everyone and i was like i was very angry at the not all men movement because i thought it was bullshit because i was like um you're not fighting for anybody men would most likely listen to you like the other men and you're not saying anything except the, the only time you ever raise your voice is to ridicule the women or to look for some way to basically counter women who are saying that they are suffering and they are being oppressed and right. i was really angry so i called out on all the men and i was <laughs> and i was basically <laughs> going <laughs> I was basically hitting at the fact that I don't feel like all men are horrible people, but I feel like the societal construct of men is encouraging the rape culture. And men could actually stop this and break this. If you know that it is wrong, tell your friends that you suspect a rapist or try to like stop this rape culture that that exists that make people feel like it's okay, like the men will be men thing. Like, for instance, when I was talking about... um, um men or boys drugging girls at parties you stand up and tell the men to stop drugging them at parties why do you keep what you keep seeing these things happen and not say anything so that well it 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 made me seem like a very angry bitter person which in retrospect was true but uh (laughs) nah sometimes you just gotta you know let it out ain't nothing wrong with it yeah but how how would you address misogynistic women though who probably know that you know their children or their child goes through this and choose to turn the blind eye it's very confusing to me because i'm like do they feign ignorance is it just conditioning like i really don't know how that plays out um see that's a that question right there is a doozy i mean because because like 
all the things that you said could absolutely be, you know, true on an individual level. And it could be like a mix of all of those things. Um, so I think I think that my thing with, you know, like women who see the problem. But don't really say anything about it. It kind of comes down to, you know, like. They're going to have to find a way to, you know, like deal with that, you know, internally, because there's only so much that, you know, like we can do. As far as, you know, advocates. Until, you know, like it, it, it gets through to somebody else, you know, what I'm saying like we can we can plant the seed because like you can you can talk to somebody until you're blue in the face. Um, you know, you can you can hit them with all kinds of, you know, facts, statistics, you know, like tell them, you know, like why, you know, it would behoove them to to, you know, like speak out about what's going on or to intervene or to, you know, like do something. But at the end of the day, you know, the good Lord gave us free will and, you know, like people are going to going to do what they want to do. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, that's I truly think that's why we're in the in the predicament that we're in because of that, you know, bystander effect. You know, like people people think that if it's not directly affecting them, then, you know, I don't need to get involved. You know, it's none of my business. And that contributes back to the entire uh, you know, rape culture, sexual assault culture. Um, so, you know, until, you know, we finally get people to understand that, you know, you know, what, what directs one, I mean, what affects one, uh, you know, uh, individually or personally does affect people, does affect you indirectly as well. Yeah. Cause I, it's always been something of, um, interest to me when i i hear or i see women who watch this happen and uh, and just choose to turn a blind eye if it's just if if they feel like it's a normal thing that should happen because i remember there was this time i was talking to to someone and i i said i don't think i've talked to any girl that has not been sexually harassed as a child like i mm. i haven't spoken to one that hasn't had some sort of story to that and it it it, it now be, it now started looking like it was like a, a, a rite of passage like a way of life like <laughs> it was something that you had to go through and the, how how we have normalized that in society i think that's that's what is scary and then trying right. to fight that it makes it seem like we are attacking something that is uh, it's natural of their of their basically of your human nature or something like that but Anyway, if if you were to change one thing, like it, it just had to be one thing um, in society, what would that be? Oh man, oh, ooh! If I could change one thing, if I could change one thing, so if I could change one thing, I would. And I'm gonna take a take a book. I mean, take a page out of a Tupac's book um, because, like this, this sounded so like genius to me when I had watched the Tupac Resurrection documentary. But like, I would I would make rich people live like poor people, <laughs> and poor people live like rich people, you know, for a week. 
just so you know like they could actually you know like get get the sense of you know like how people are living um you know in 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 different situations because you know we can see you know people in the streets and you know we can see people in these you know big fancy mansions but you know what i'm saying like until you know like walk in that person's shoes you never really know you know what is what it's like and then i feel like in doing this you know this would allow you know like the rich folks to like really really get an understanding of like dang like this shit is fucked up you know what i'm saying like it, like exactly you know like how you know like the poor and lower middle class are like having to live and with this whole coronavirus is going around right now you know it's really exposing you know all the flaws well especially in you know the united states with you know like how everything is because i was literally just talking to some of my homeboys earlier about this but it's like we don't have apparently you know we didn't have any any of the money for you know like any any test or anything somehow we have all these celebrities and all these rich folks getting tested you know the entire utah jazz basketball team and personnel that's 58 people they got tested within a matter of you know like 12 to 24 hours yet there are still thousands of people throughout the country who didn't have access to to these tests so it's just like having having people have have to you know like literally experience uh experience something that you know others are having to go through um you know that that'll really you know put put it into perspective because uh i'm in a i'm in a fraternity uh mphc divine nine historically black greek letter organizations uh phi beta sigma and yearly we do this uh, event called sleep out for the homeless where you know we sleep out for at 7 p.m at night to seven in the morning and uh we do it to you know raise awareness to you know the plight of homelessness you know we accept donations uh toiletries you know blankets clothing and all that good stuff so one year when we were doing it you know like it was like terribly cold outside like i think like it was like 20 degrees outside or something like that and you know i got sick like i, I legitimately like got sick had to sit out for a couple of days and you know just being able to to check my own privilege as a matter of you know like i only had to do this for 12 hours and i don't want to and you know like i i don't want to do it next year i mean i'm gonna do it next <laughs> year but you know like i only had to do this for 12 hours there are people out here who are you know like living through this like this is a 24 7 lifestyle for them so you know, like being able to step outside of, you know, like your your bubble of your, you know, comfortability and, you know, just like really, like I said, like I can't emphasize it enough. Just like putting yourself in like literally putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, you know, into their situation. Like I would I would I really I would really like to see that happen. I would like to see how Donald Trump would ask <laughs> if he had to, you know, you know, sit on the side of the freeway or something, you know, like ask me. Ask for change or something like I I would I would love that. All right, <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. This was a really great conversation that we had. Really, it's funny how we teach girls little to nothing about sex. I once thought a box of condoms was candy. 
It's funny how it's okay to make jokes about women's bodies so loudly as they walk past on the streets, chanting 17, 18, 19, mm mm-hmm. It's funny how we always remember to tell the girls, make sure those boys don't see your pants, but never think to teach the boys how to keep it in their pants. It's funny how we push little girls to older men to inspect, but have to apologize when they refuse to be treated like objects. It's funny. How you can't seem to grasp the concept of rape culture that society has sown, but instantly pick up why Arya Stark had to be a boy in the Game of Thrones. It's funny how quickly men chant not all men, but their pulse rises the moment they see their girls with any man. It's funny how men swear they pick their friends that know better, but will never let those friends anywhere near their sister. It's funny how men say not all men are a threat because they are attracted to you, but are terrified to be alone with a gay man in a room. It's funny when I say I want to be treated with the same respect as a man, you hear that I no longer want to be a woman. It's funny how easy it has become to put the blame on a woman's femininity, and men don't want to take up the responsibility for the injustice in society. It's funny How we assume rape cases are on the rise when this has always been happening and women have cried but it's only when it becomes a Twitter hashtag we choose to open our eyes. It's funny how unfair the world has been to women. Don't stay out late. Watch your drinks when you're out on a date. Do not provoke that man when he tries to check you or you will end up another statistic of rape. You see, to survive as a woman, you do not protect yourself from some men. You build up walls against all men. Tell me, man, why are you so protective of your daughters being with other men? Tell me, man, when you send your daughters off, do you tell her she's beautiful and not all men would hurt you? Or do you tell them to watch themselves because men are entitled to the bodies of women and as such may act like uncontrollable sexual beasts? Tell me, man. When your baby girl is born, why do you strap yourself with worry, stock up on paranoia, and force feed her anxiety? Tell me, man, when it's all said and done, who the fuck are you protecting her from? It's funny. After society has succeeded in keeping women on their toes, you still make rape jokes. They still make rape jokes. People still laugh at rape jokes. It is not funny. Rape is not funny. Thank you so much for listening till the end. It was a great episode. And for those of you who listened to the end and got to listen to my piece even better, um, women and men out there, boys and girls, there is so much that can be done to make society safer for men and women alike. So um, please stay safe. Uh, things are still crazy right now. Try your best to stay sane and we do our best to stay productive. Yeah, subscribe to the show, leave reviews, ratings, guys. We need those. Like, I really do need those. I would love to see your comments. If you have anything that you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can share it um, via email at thespokenworldpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at thespokenworldpodcast. Till next time, I am your host, Hua from Nigeria. Yeah.